Well, hey everyone, welcome to episode 166 of F-Stop Collaborate and Listen. This week's episode features an up-and-comer named Ethan Deshays. Ethan is a 20-year-old college student studying abroad in New Zealand, lucky, and has some fresh perspectives on photography as an art form. I think this episode is a nice compare and contrast with some of the more recent ones that we've done with more well-established photographers that have been around since before the digital revolution in photography. I think some of you may find some of Ethan's views to be somewhat controversial, um, but I enjoy hearing the perspective of others so that I can understand how other people are viewing our craft. I hope you enjoy our conversation about art and what makes photographs good or bad. We discussed some other interesting topics, including uh, what Ethan calls dimension, depth, and intrinsic beauty, uh, and getting inspiration by looking at other photographers' work. Well, before we get started, we have a request from one of our patrons over on Patreon, Richard Wong. Richard wrote a very popular article about a decade ago where he identified the top 10 most influential nature photographers of all time. The article is still read by many today, and Richard would like to hear your thoughts on who might make an updated list of influential modern nature photographers. You can send your suggestions to him via his contact page on his website, which I've linked in the show notes. And hey, who knows, maybe you'll make a new friend in the process. Just look for a link in the show notes to that. All right, let's get to the show. Right. Well, Ethan Deshays, man, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. Uh, yeah, so I am I'm 20 years old, um, and currently I'm actually in New Zealand right now. Uh, this is supposed to be my, my study abroad, um, just for fun. Like, I, I just wanted to see the mountains in New Zealand, really. That, that was really the only reason. Like, is, it, is it as amazing as, it, as everyone says it is? Well, that's the thing. Honestly, like, I... I looked on Google Maps because that's that's just my thing. Like I've been, I have had the nickname Google Maps several times in my <laughs> life, just because like you know like I, I haven't known anyone else who spends eight hours just staring at mountains. It's ridiculous. Sometimes I worry <laughs> about myself. So so I I've looked at at the mountains and I've heard all these amazing things about New Zealand and I was like getting kind of disappointed because I wasn't finding um, what I wanted to. Uh, mm. I, I found some work by Mark Adamus though, and I managed to locate where those places are. And I'm feeling really good about, about <laughs> how good New Zealand is though. So, but those places are hard to get to. They're not, they're not, it's not trivial. Right. Well, that's kind of his thing. <laughs> Well, yeah, like he, he's, he's got helicopters and I, I don't have helicopters. So I got to hike to these places and then use like my drone or something. Well, it'll be an adventure. <laughs> it, it will. I'm, I'm hoping I get maybe a 13, 14 day trip in June. Oh, after that'll be awesome. I would like to describe myself as a very obsessive person. I started photography 
let me think. When did I actually start photography? So I mean, you're 20, so so I've been I've been doing photography for almost as long as you've been alive. So <laughs> so I I think I first got my real camera. Like it was like this little Canon PowerShot. Yeah. And um, me and my dad were hiking up to the top of Mount Whitney when I think I was in eighth grade. I'm not sure. Awesome. And I remember hiking up and we were taking, I was taking pictures and it was actually so cold at the summit. There's this little hut at the summit and I kept running in the hut and trying to warm up and then running out and taking pictures. <laughs> and, that, and, and that like, it really, it really got me. And I, I was really into photography. So for the next like five years, I planned like assiduously what camera I was going to get. And my dad was making fun of me. He was like, so when are you actually going to buy this camera? <laughs> so in 11th grade, we were going on this school trip to Yosemite. And like spur of the moment, like 10 days before, I was like, hell man, I'm going to I'm gonna get my camera. So I, I got, I think, a, a D5300 used off eBay for something like $300. Right. And then... Two years later, I got a D810. So it's only been, it's only been, um, eighth grade. How many, how many, that's like six years, I think. Yeah, that sounds right. That's so cool, man. It hasn't been very long, but it's been very, it's very compacted. Like, like when I say I'm obsessive, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not kidding. I'm not using the word lightly here. <laughs> like, <laughs> like. It, it's just ridiculous. Like I'll I'll go through 500 pics has this um has this feature where you can go through things that other people have saved. So I'll right. see that this other person will saved 10,000 images, and I'll be like, okay, I'll just uh, look at all of them and see what ones are good. And I'll I'll go through like 10,000 images in a day, and it's like, well, that was a that was a well spent day. <laughs> That's interesting because. We've we've talked about this on the podcast before. This kind of this relationship that some photographers have with looking at other photographers' photographs for inspiration and or ideas versus the idea of not looking at other photographers' um, photographs because you don't want to get uh, I don't know like you don't want to have a the the like false expectations about a place before you go. Um, or you don't want um, someone else's ideas stuck in your mind when you go so, to a place. So I'm curious, what is your relationship with um, with you know looking at other people's work? I think it's less about um, stealing ideas or or being swayed or disappointed, and more about understanding. For me, at mm. least, it's not about it's not about like looking at the photo to try to copy it, which yeah, I'll do. I'm not above that. Um, if it's a really good shot and I see it and I'm like, Ooh, I want that one. I'll, I'll, I'll go there and get, you know, not the exact same shot, but something pretty similar because it's, it's hard to be too different because the condition, when the conditions are static, but it's more right. for me about, um, understanding. And, and that goes for everything. Like, I feel like the key to learning is is really a deep level of understanding. 
about what you're doing. You have to, you have to, it's not about memorization it's of, of, of steps. You have to understand the steps and then you don't have to memorize anything. They, they just come. So when you're looking at photos, it's, it's not about trying to copy them per se. It's, it's about trying to figure out if they're good, why they're good, what makes them good, what all the good ones have in common with each other and how you can use that to create some sort of grand unifying theory of, of goodness and how to achieve it. Yeah, I think <clears throat> a long time ago, <clears throat> excuse me, I think back on like episode 74, maybe um, I had a chat with Jason Matias on Patreon and he talked about a process that he created or borrowed from somebody. I can't remember, but essentially the idea was to look at like 500 photographs that you really like, print them all out, and then on the back, write down what you liked about them. And then when you're done, basically combine all of those thoughts into a spreadsheet and look for patterns in thought and and overlap and similarities and that then becomes kind of like what draws you to that subject or really what kind of forms your vision as an artist. That sounds like a really good idea. It's something I wish that I've done. <laughs> yeah, <But> me too. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just, I'm not structured like that. Like, like there's no follow through. Like I'll have the idea and then I won't, I won't write everything down, but I've, I've definitely done that except without, you know, going through for every single photo. It's just been a general sense. Mm-hmm. But it hasn't been something that I've I've written down, and I've I've tried really hard to come up with um with a, a let me I think a toolbox hmm. to to figure out like is this a good scene is this a bad scene and that that's really what it comes down to for me um I know on your show there's been just been a significant amount of episodes about icons mm-hmm. um versus hidden scenes and for me. It's it's about it's about does it look good, and a lot of icons are famous because they do look good, and some icons I I look at and I'm like, why does every photographer go here? <laughs> well, what did when you ask yourself that question, what answers come to mind? I think it, so. The the answer is really photographers are lazy. If you look at icons, every single one of them is there's a huge parking lot right next to it. Right. Every single one We're of them close. Like like almost without exception. There's some there's some that aren't like that. Uh Troll Tunga comes to mind, which I think mm-hmm. is eleven mile hike. I think like I did that and it was it was not the easiest hike. It wasn't like super, super difficult, but it was harder than I expected from a place that popular. Mm-hmm. Um but like you look at all these places like Horseshoe Bend, uh, Tunnel View, uh, what Mesa Arch? They're all they're all really close to to um, a parking lot, and that's what makes them icons. What makes them icons is the fact that everyone goes to them, and mm-hmm. not everyone wants to hike ten miles, or not ev- not everyone is capable of hiking ten miles either. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> I mean, I'm not saying that's, you know, not judging. I'm just saying, like, you know, as you get older or if you have health conditions or whatever. No, it's definitely true. No, I think 
that is an interesting. I mean, it's definitely heavily correlated with, uh, you know, the accessibility. I think the more accessible a location is, the more photographs you're going to have of that place, especially if it is what you're saying, a good scene, quote unquote. It was interesting. Um, back in 2017, when I went to Iceland for the first time, I more or less just kind of tagged along with a group of friends from Colorado Springs and I didn't really do hardly any research. They had already done all the research because they had gone together as a group before. So they kind of knew where they wanted to go. And I remember, you know, probably about 50% of the places they were wanting to go. I was like, oh, that, yeah, I want to go there. And then 50% of them, I was like, yeah, take take it or leave it. I don't like, you know, it's a popular shot, but I don't, doesn't do anything for me. It doesn't you know, it doesn't juice my jets, but I remember finding all kinds of scenes that weren't necessarily on our itinerary that I just fell in love with, mostly because it required, I don't know, it required me to evaluate the scene in person for the first time sight unseen and, you know, try to, try to put together a composition. And for me, that is a huge amount of the joy of uh, photography is creating something out of nothing um, in the field, you know, like piecing together compositional elements and understanding the relationship of light and shapes and all of those things. So I guess, you know, going to an iconic scene in great light, it can be very rewarding, but it's not typically very challenging, you know, and I like to be challenged. You know, that's true. And it's, it's interesting that you would say it. Because it, it really shows a different perspective um, that I feel like we have. Uh, for me, photography is, it's, it's all about the, the end result. Like, I just want something that I'm really proud of that I can put on my wall. And, and the pride doesn't necessarily come from the challenge. And I would agree with you. Like, a lot of the icons, and I'm being very loose with what I call as icons. Like, sure. There, there are places where it's it's pretty teed up for you. Like I'm thinking, um, <laughs> yeah, the, the Zion Narrows. Like you walk in there and it's like you just point your, you turn your camera on and you got some photos. Like and even so, it's it's not it's not the fact that it's hard. It's more about it's more about like does this look good and does this make cause some emotion when I look at it. It's hmm. It's, it's all about the end result, you know? Um, and I, I try hard to detach myself from my work. I'm thinking of this one shot. Uh, it was ridiculous. I was in Yosemite. So I worked, I worked, um, this was after my freshman year of college. I worked as a uh, volunteer river ranger on the Merced River. Um, nice. So this was right below Yosemite Valley. And I went up to Yosemite every single time it rained. I think there were eight days in total. So I'm working here, and uh, I'm sitting in the parking lot in Mariposa, and I hear someone come out of the library saying that it's raining. And I look at the forecast, and the forecast is like, it probably won't rain. But I go there anyway. So what happens is, is when I get there, like I'm rushing because I'm getting there like right before sunset. It's only 30 minutes before sunset. And there's, there's fog in the valley. And then things are kind of not lit very well because it's super cloudy. But then all of a sudden, 
everything. And when I say everything, I mean like literally everything. The rocks, the trees, the sky, everything goes pink. And then <laughs> a rainbow starts coming down right in the middle of the valley. And when I left the viewpoint, I was actually crying because it was it was the most beautiful thing that I had ever seen. And that shot, I love that shot so much. But I have to be honest with myself when I look at it. It's not one of the best photos that I've taken. And it's really hard to say that because I'm so emotionally attached to it. Mm. <laughs> but like I really value the objectivity uh, of of a scene like it's either it's either good or it's bad and and knowing that story makes it better but it 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 doesn't it's like it's not a bad photo and when i say good you have to understand that i'm not talking about okay or like even <laughs> what normal people would describe as good when i'm talking about good i'm describing something like you know, every photographer has those two or three shots in their portfolio that you look at and you're like, you feel something. You're like, mm-hmm. damn, I want that one. And that's those. That's what I'm talking about when I'm talking about good. I'm not talking about your average shot. I'm talking about those shots that you are really proud of and you only get a couple of in your career unless your name is Max Max Reeve or Mark Adamus. <laughs> yeah, well, it's interesting because... I feel like you're trying to say that um, what makes a photograph good or bad can have some objective truth. And what I'm wondering is that I think most people see art as subjective in terms of what makes it good or bad. But what I'm hearing you say is that in photography, you either know it's good or bad based on looking at it. What do you think about that? So I think... I think uh, the photo has to stand alone. You know, if you're trying to sell a photo to someone, obviously you're going to be telling them this amazing story about the photo. Um, but you don't get to tell that story to everyone. So it has to stand alone. Like the average person looking at it is not going to know that story. So the story doesn't matter too much. It's The only thing that matters is is how it looks. and I would agree with you. A lot of people are very cagey on art and find it that they just, they just avoid defining it at all costs, um, which is something I, I really, honestly, I, I'm not a fan of. Um, cause, cause it comes back to what I was talking about, about understanding, Like you can't get really good at something without having a deep level of understanding at it. And if, if you're avoiding defining it, then you're running away from that understanding. Hmm. So, so I, even though I know that art is subjective, like, yeah, if I show this photo to you, you might like it. And I might think it's complete garbage or you might show this photo to me that you're like, man, this is the worst photo I've ever taken. And I'll look at that and I'll be like, this needs to be in my portfolio right now. Like, (laughs) like obviously there is a certain level of subjectivity, but for the most part, people tend to agree. This is good. This is bad. If you show someone a good photo, 
if you show like, let's say a thousand people a good photo, you know, let's say 80% of them say that it's good. And if you show someone a, a mediocre or an okay photo, maybe like 30% of them will, 50% of them will say it's good. Like over a large population, there's going to be obvious objectivity. I agree. <clears throat> I think even taking it a step further, if you were to take mm, 20 photographs taken by, by a variety of photographers and show them to like almost like an experiment, show them to a, a room of a hundred people who have never taken a photograph in their life, or maybe have never, you know, they don't own a camera. Maybe they only take cell phone photos, whatever. They just, they're not photographers. And you ask them to rate them on like a scale of one to 10 on how awesome it is or whatever. And then you take those same 20 photographs in a room of a hundred photographers. And I, Bet you will have very, very, very different results. <laughs> no, no doubt about it. Like that's that's one thing that I'm not a huge fan of is is people's tastes change. Generally, people who are photographers they like um, these quieter scenes. Not everyone. There's there's a couple of people I know that are, are huge fans of of quiet images, but usually non photographers that they're, they're they're real suckers for the grand epic scenes. Sure. Um, and and people who are a little more experienced are are definitely looking for something unique and uh, something that they feel they can feel like they created or they had a part of, and that's what they place value on. And I think part of that is a, just a desire to stand out. Like if you're a photographer, you and I do this too. It's it's nice to have something that only you have. You know, it's like, this is mine. Um, Absolutely. So, so you tend to, because you think that way about your own photography, I I feel like you probably tend to put a higher value on shots like that on other people's photography too. I mean, I know I personally do, but what I've found is that the lay public doesn't really care. (laughs) Yes. Well, the good thing about, photography is that you don't have to give a damn what the lay public thinks nor do you have to give a damn what other photographers think that's true but it's harder (laughs) (laughs) so what in your opinion makes a photo good okay so i i I came super prepared for this one i was was going over it before before i came on uh let's see so there's three things um and i picked these up through various sources i'll try to credit where they came from while I go along. But the first one is, is dimensionality. And I feel like this is something that I haven't heard anyone else talk about too, too much. Um, and dimensionality is, is really simple. You have an object and I saw a YouTube video where they had, it was just like a science of, of art or something. And they had a cube and it had flat light, and then they had side lighting, and they were showing, like, oh, this shows the shape of the cube. And the thing is, is it's so true. If you have dimensionality in your subject, let's say it's a mountain, and it's lit from the side, and you can see these little jagged rocks coming out, all being hit by this yellow side light. The dimensionality of the subject is really important. You want to have 
this sense that the object you're looking at isn't flat. Like when I go to the Grand Canyon, it, it when you're looking at it in real life, it almost looks like it's a projection because it's so far away. And in the midday, there's so little dimensionality that it, it, it doesn't look super 3D. It looks almost like a mirage, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so for dimensionality, you, there's, there's two things that I w- would say fall into it, enhancing it or, or making it. Um, the first and most obvious one is, is light. Um, people get hung up on sunsets. Uh, but the truth is, is at the time when the clouds are going pink, you've lost all your dimensionality because there's no light hitting the subject. So oftentimes you want to actually photograph when the light hits the subject rather than when the sky is pink. Um, The second thing is snow. Uh, If I'm photographing a mountain scene, uh, the snow will, will pick out little pieces of rock that are coming out and just make, or we're on a tree. It'll pick out little, details on the tree that are 3d i don't know (laughs) and it will enhance the sense of dimensionality in that tree or mountain so those those two things are are i feel the two factors that really enhance dimensionality and then so that one was my idea and the second one is kind of a, a medley of max reeves and mark adamus's ideas I haven't talked to these people. Um, I've read what they've posted online. Um, I bought one of Max Reeves' video courses. Um, So I don't have a personal relationship with them or anything. But this is just what I've got looking at their work. Like you can tell kind of how a person thinks if you look at hundreds of photographs taken by them. So for, for Mark Adamus, you, you get the sense of depth, which was really a revelation for me because previously, uh, I'd say before about two or three months ago, I wasn't a super huge foreground person. I felt like the all the real estate you have, you just have this 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 rectangle, and ideally, you just kind of want to make the subject as big as possible, and you want to take up all the real estate with the most interesting part. But I realized that what happens is when you try to do that is sometimes you get this lack of, of depth um, and the image feels kind of flat, even if there is, even if there is dimensionality. Mm-hmm. Um, so having a foreground, it, yes, it's true. It, it makes the subject smaller, but it also has this sense of, of, of depth, like you're actually there and you can look at the subject. And I think foreground is really important. And it, it's not something that I feel like a lot of people get right. And I don't feel like I'm one to talk because <laughs> I haven't taken any photos with these ideas since I've had them really. It's just been like coronavirus thinking. Um, so I haven't implemented these ideas yet. They're very theoretical. Um, well, it's not a new idea. <clears throat> I mean, no, it's, it's not a new back, idea. You know, going back to um, Mark Munch and David Munch, you know, 
you know, using a large format camera and using tilt shift, you know, making the foreground, you know, bigger. Um, that's, that's definitely not a new idea in terms of creating depth. I think the challenge with the idea of depth in the modern digital world is that um, if you're going to capture depth using a wide angle lens, you either have to ensure that the background object is relatively close to you, or you have to use some Photoshop trickery to do focal length blending. Um, and once you start dabbling into that territory, creating depth is really not very difficult because you basically are saying, I can create depth by adding and subtracting images into the scene that I want in order to create a perfect composition. So here's where I feel like the thing that I'm thinking diverges a little bit from, from what I hear other people say mostly. Um, and it's, it's how I in particular think about foregrounds. Foregrounds isn't about something being really, really big in the frame. It's more okay. about having something leading slash interacting with the background. Like, let's say I'm in California and I'm taking a photo of rocks and mm -hmm. I have this big cactus in my foreground. It's just huge. And then I have these rocks in the background. I'm not the biggest fan of those photos because I don't feel like there's any interaction. It's interesting. You've got a, you've got a cactus and you got the rocks, but there's, there's no, you, you still don't have that sense of depth because there's nothing leading to that rock. So if, if I was say in another place in Arizona, um, there's a place where there's all these saguaro cactuses leading up to a mountain. If I have those cactuses getting smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller in the distance, and you can really see the effect of that distance, then I would say that that still counts as a foreground, even though it's maybe a mile away from you, because you have that, you have that interaction of depth where you have something big going into something small. No, I definitely agree with that. And that's like the same thing in, in tunnel view. Uh, you have, you have these big trees in the foreground and they slowly, smallly recede until you've got these like huge granite walls. And if you have a really big print of that, there's such amazing depth in that scene because you can really fathom the size of those walls by right. looking at how they dwarf the trees. Right. Whereas, um, so that would be an example of a, a, a good iconic shot. Whereas something like Horseshoe Bend, you can put a rock or something in your foreground, but there's no there's no depth and there's no dimensionality. There's there's dimensionality. There's no depth because it's really hard to get a sense of scale because mm -hmm. there's nothing leading there. So it's just like it's just like there's a rock in your foreground and there's a big bend and and there's a sunset and it's it's hard to convey scale when you don't have something leading it's really it's really about it's really about the leading part and less about the wow i have something really big close to my camera gotcha like, like um i'm thinking about when i use google maps 
the foreground is often, let's say, a, a river, a glacier. But those are really good because um, they create, they create, especially if they're big, um, vanishing points where the the lines converge in the distance, um, which is super good. Vanishing points are super super effective at conveying depth. Um, so even though you're not close to that river or glacier, let's say you're on a hilltop or you're flying a drone maybe a mile away from it, you can see the effect that that distance has on that glacier. And it, it gives you a better sense of, of the enormity of the, the scale of the scene. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what I got from Adamus and from Reeve. He had this interesting definition that he called space which was basically talking about epic scenes here where you have a place where there's not something that your eye can hit. Like your eye just goes all the way into the distance, all the way over the horizon, like 50 miles out. Um, Let's say you're on top of a mountain and you have a huge ridge in front of you, just totally blocking your view. There's no space in that scene, he would say, because your eye can't go all the way past their horizon um but if there's a valley then your eye can go down it and through the image and all the way out over the horizon and that is another aspect of depth i feel like where you have this huge difference in distance you have something let's say a half a mile from your camera and you have something that's 50 miles from your camera and if you work that properly and there's there's good enough lines um, you can make that feel enormous. Yeah. So <clears throat> beyond beyond depth, what it, what else do you think makes makes a good photograph? Okay, this is the last one, um, and this one is is the most cheaty. I feel this one is is <laughs> I haven't I haven't I haven't come up with a good definition, so I'm kind of cheating here. Um, so I would talk about something called intrinsic beauty, uh, just for lack of a better word. There are some scenes that are just, they're, they're amazing. Um, and it's, it's a little bit apart from, it's related to, to, to depth, but it's not, it's, it's definitely separate. Um, there's some mountains that are, you know, extra pointy, some arches that are just, really amazing like like let's get let me try to use some examples here um let's see so i would say yosemite valley from from tunnel view is an example of of something that has intrinsic beauty and potential to be really really amazing um because it has that depth and because the elements work together really well. There's just a sense of balance and harmony. You have El Capitan on the left, you have Bridal Veil Falls on the right, and you have it's in a place where there's just a high probability of good weather, like fog and mist, um, which again adds probably a sense of depth. Um, so that would be a, a good a place that has a high amount of intrinsic beauty. And going back to to Horseshoe Bend. I've never really liked Horseshoe Bend, and I'm kind of of the opinion 
that you can't really get a truly amazing photo of Horseshoe Bend. Like, I don't really care if you have the most amazing lightning storm that's ever hit the earth, which at that <laughs> point, it's not about Horseshoe Bend, it's about the lightning. But, like, I just, I just don't, there's, on the left side, there's this plateau, and it, it just makes it feel slightly unbalanced to me. And the big curve, I just don't think that that, as a composition, is a strong one. And I couldn't really define to you why that is. And obviously, the photographer has no control over how the river carved the huge curve into it like a million years ago. So the photographer can't control that. But the photographer can curate. Like, the photographer can choose, all right, this place is intrinsically beautiful. This place is is not. So I'm not going to waste my time there. Um, I'm trying to come up with more examples that are not too too specific, you know, like like obvious icons. Well, I mean, I mean, Mesa Arch is a good example of that. I mean, I know it's a icon, but I mean, it's when that light, that early light, hits the underside of the arch. I mean, it's pretty spectacular, you know. Yeah, Mesa Arch. I'm I'm torn on because originally I wasn't super impressed, but now I'm I'm coming more around to it. Um, I think that it's pretty good. Uh, it, <laughs> it has pretty pretty high intrinsic beauty. I'm trying to think like it has so many amazing elements. It has the Colorado River in the distance. It has the LaSalle Mountains. It has those. The, the fit the washerwoman uh right. spires it, it's got all those things but it 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 almost feels like 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 i've seen i've seen i've gone through probably like two or three hundred mace arch photos and there's some that i just definitely don't like i think it needs this um this very high level of light bleed to work like you need this um light bleed to give you depth between the the washerwoman spires and the lasalles what do you mean um, by light bleed like like uh, you know when the sun is coming up towards you and you have this big flare like you need this big like flare or ghosting pattern where where i'm like there's yellow warm light um oh, you mean like a glow ball <laughs> yeah yeah something like that yeah, like where people are like it's all the rage now, like dod like dodging and burning in light just that doesn't even exist. <laughs> well, if you're looking at a sunrise, hopefully at some point it might exist. Like especially yeah, but it if never actually looks like that in the camera. True. True. Ever. Um, <laughs> well again, it, for me, it's it really doesn't come down to is this real? It comes down to, does it look good? And I feel like my morals are a lot less strict than. Well, I don't even know if it's a moral issue. I mean, you just you define it as intrinsic. Well, so if it's you have true. To add uh, so glow to the horizon. That's not intrinsic. That's the, in- that you added. the intrinsic beauty of scene. I should I should establish this is not related to light in any way at all. Um, it's just related to static subjects, static parts of the scene. Um, gotcha. Because 
it's just best to leave light out of it because light can happen in a scene that's not intrinsically beautiful and it can happen in one that is. So when the intrinsic beauty is just total, it's just, it's just what are the static subjects of the scene? And then the light is something that either happens or doesn't. Um, gotcha. So, well, I think it's, it's interesting that you used a lot of examples uh, from photographers who do a lot of composite work in terms of defining intrinsic beauty because like, and, and they're so good at it that you, you can't see it. Like you don't know that those scenes aren't actually experienceable. Well, like for, for Yosemite Valley though, it's not about, it's not about, it's true with composite work. Well done. You could make an image there that is is very good, and I think I would like it a lot. But it's not about that composite work. It's about the fact that that's a place where you do not have to try. Like, like it doesn't matter if you're compositing. It doesn't matter if you're taking a photo in the middle of the day. Really, if you take a photo there, it's just going to look better than it's going to look in other places. And that's why I'm not super hyped on Mesa Arch because I feel like it requires these really specific um, circumstances, which kind of lower its intrinsic beauty in my eyes. Um, there's some scenes in, in, in Canada that I've found uh, where you've got glaciers and, and waterfalls coming off the glaciers with these huge spiky mountains. And those scenes it really, like, I don't give a damn when you photograph it. If you photograph it in the middle of the day, if you photograph it at sunset, at sunrise, any any time of day, really. I don't care if you're doing composite or you're just unedited JPEG. It's going to be a photo that you're going to be at least mildly impressed with. It's not going to be a, a good or a great photo, but it's going to be a photo that people are like, wow, where is that? And that's what you're looking for when you're looking for intrinsic beauty. You're you're looking for a place where people look at it and they're like, holy crap, man, where is that? I want to go there. You know, there's actually a lot of photographers, fine art photographers that uh, they don't focus on things that are beautiful. I'm thinking of like the work of Chuck Kimmerly where, you know, he photographs like um, dead carcasses in winter in the plains of Midwest United States and and it's it's a uh, the end result I guess you could say is beautiful but I wouldn't necessarily say that the scene itself is intrinsically beautiful um, but it is it's a wonderful piece of art what are your thoughts on kind of how you make how do you bridge that so that just become comes down to my lack of value as an artist I'm not here to 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 send a message really like if other people want to send a message if other people want to photograph bodies in the holocaust or something that's really important to send a message and potentially change things that's great and that should be encouraged but like that's just not what i'm after it's it's not it's not it's not it's it's a great thing but it's like i'm just very shallow in my photography i just want something that looks good <laughs> Well, at least you're honest about it. <laughs> like, it's it's just about, and it doesn't have to be epic. I'm a huge fan of the epic scenes because 
because I remember you had William Patino on the show and she was talking about how he liked feeling mildly in danger when he was photographing (laughs) stuff. And I can totally get on board with that. Like I love huge storms where you've got this amazing epic scene in front of you and it feels mildly unsafe. (laughs) Those, those are my, those are my favorite experiential moments, I would say. Um, but I, I'm also a huge fan of the 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 um, smaller scenes. And I feel like smaller scenes can have intrinsic beauty. Like there's some shots where the leaves are organized in such a way that there's a lot of harmony and there's a lot of balance. And, and things just either they look like something else or the colors are extremely well proportioned you know there's just a sense of balance and harmony which i really couldn't describe better than just saying hey man it's it's beautiful i don't know man like some of those intimate shots the best ones it doesn't they don't really need this amazing light because they are intrinsically beautiful yeah well i don't know maybe it's just my age or my having done this for a while, but I've personally found a lot more enjoyment out of looking at those types of images just because they're less, they're less obvious, you know? Well, it it really comes down to, to what you're doing. Like if you just want to go stamp collecting and go to every single national park, that's, that's, that's fine. That's great. But it might not be super enjoyable because you're just doing what everyone else is doing but or you might love it you might love it (laughs) (laughs) there is there is some you don't have to do that like big epic scenes aren't easy to find um they 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 can be but if you want to put in the time then i assure you you can find some big epic scenes that pretty much nobody has ever photographed ever and i'm thinking about specific places in 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 greenland and canada and possibly south america specific alaska new zealand south america i'm I'm torn on alaska honestly because i i i i just finished google mapping uh the 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 state which is ridiculous don't try doing that (laughs) um and i wasn't as impressed as i thought i was gonna be it's definitely really good but I feel like when compared to the coastal mountains in British Columbia, it's not quite as good. Mm. Like I, the, the peaks are, are less, less, um, j- just accumulation of factors. Um, there's more waterfalls in that area and the peaks are just a little bit pointier. And what I found is, is, Alaska has these huge glacial masses and I don't think that those are super good for for images because they don't add this sense of depth. You really need this river and the glacier has to be like somewhat small to actually fit into the frame and and give you that sense of depth. There's a point where like it's just too big. If you're taking a photo of the ocean and you just have the ocean in your photo and nothing else. The ocean is just too big. And that's often the case with a lot of places in Alaska where the glaciers are just 
too massive and it's it's, it's hard to really so so Alaska's good but my absolute favorite is um is definitely Canada. Yeah, there's some amazing stuff up near Banff for sure. Um, I'm curious uh you know with your you're very young and you're obsessive, which is awesome because I'm also kind of the same way. I'm curious, where do you see your photography going in the next 10 years? Oh, boy. Um, hopefully, it's it, it's really good. I've got a couple shots right now that I'm, I'm pretty proud of. Um, I'm not sure if anything is going to be in my long-term portfolio that I have right now, but mm. we're working <laughs> on it. Um, there's There's two options. Either I'm going to be really, really good or I'm going to stop doing it. Um, cause that tends to be how I function, um, <laughs> where, where I do something really obsessively and then either it just falls off or I keep going and it, it gets to a pretty high level. Like just recently, I think I got to, um, 2000, which is master level in, in chess, um, and I was really good at pool, and then I dropped it. Now I'm, I'm bad at it. And there's there's just these things where I've just latched onto. There's photography, there's chess, there's pool, there's a couple of other things. And and sometimes I stick with it, and sometimes I don't. And I'm hoping that with photography I stick with it because for me it just it gives me a lot of happiness. You know, it's not just about having the end result. It's also about finding these amazing places and, and going to them and, and, and getting out there, you know? Yeah. I've often found that photography is just a really good excuse to go to really cool places. <laughs> That's definitely true. Like, and I mean, honestly, if you're not having fun, whether it's, I'm not, you know, I talk a lot of shit about composites, but you know, if, if building composites and creating composites in Photoshop is something that brings you joy or if spending 24 hours a day on Google maps or Google earth brings you joy, or if taking a straight photograph in JPEG and submitting it to a photo contest brings you joy, or, if, you know, photographing a small scene that no one else will like brings you joy. Who cares, man? Like keep doing it, you know, just own it, like own what you love, own why you love it and keep doing it. I couldn't agree more, honestly, like, it's really just about it's it's really just about getting out there and, and enjoying it. Like you can tell which people are enjoying it and which people are are stamp collecting, definitely. And even the stamp well, collectors, I mean, they're well, doing well, it because they enjoy it. I was gonna say, like, I don't think it's necessarily fair to say that you know people that are just quote unquote stamp collecting aren't enjoying it. No. I've spoken to many photographers who. By and large, that's what they do, and they actually, um, for the most part, hate hate that term. They hate being called stamp collectors for whatever reason. But um, but they enjoy the activity of going to places that other people have shot and getting those same shots. They find a lot of joy in that, and that's cool. You know, like who am I to say that they shouldn't do that? Like, go for it. Um, all I all I would say is. You know, you might enjoy a different approach to photography too. So try it too. If you don't like that, it's cool. Getting back to, I'm sorry, I just had a thought. Um, getting back to what we were talking about earlier 
about about the scene. Um, the idea is you find a scene where all you have to do is show up. And that's really what landscape photography is, in my opinion. It's not about artistic skill or anything. It's about showing up. You find the scene because you, you can't you can't control the scene. The photographer has no control over the fact that this mountain forms eight billion years ago or, or whatever. There's there's no control there. You can control where the objects go in the frame, but you can't control the objects. So all you have to do is is find these amazing places that tick these boxes and you just show up. Like if you show up, eventually there's going to be good light and then eventually you're going to get a good photo. So th that probably would conclude my 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 grand unifying theory of photography is have these things and then and then show up because that's in my opinion in my opinion that's what photography is it's just it's just being there i would be super curious to talk to you in another 10 years to see if your opinion changes i'm sure it will honestly like i'm i've i've gone through my instagram posts and i i love doing these like really long my instagram posts are like kind of like my diaries where i just like talk about all sorts of stuff and it's really interesting and i don't disagree with it most of them but a lot of them i don't think that way about photography anymore and it's like it's interesting to see the difference and i'm sure there is going to be a difference um mm -hmm. but that means that means you're growing difference change is good yeah no it's um well i i hate to say it but i think if if you're open to changing your opinions and whatnot, that's called growth and it's called intelligence and there's nothing wrong with it. <laughs> no, definitely. Like, like I like to be, I like to be right. People like to be right. And <laughs> if, if I don't think everyone likes to be right, but I think you, there are, I think there's a subset of personalities that strive to be seen as right. <laughs> If you like to be right, then you have to be prepared to be wrong most of the time. And what That's you do true. is you just you just change. Every single time you find where you're wrong, you just say, okay, I'm just going to change this a little bit. And then eventually you'll get to the point where you're not being wrong as much. Um, I agree. <laughs> but it's definitely like nobody starts out being right. Like, So I think the people who are unwilling to change their opinions, like – I, I wish that they would change their opinions because not everyone is going to be 100% right. And part of getting to the point where you are 100% right is admitting when you're wrong. No, I agree. Well, Ethan, I'm curious, who would you recommend our listeners check out and that we try to get here on the show? Um. Okay, so this one guy, Jeff Lewis, uh, was really interesting. I was actually introduced Tim, by my, my parents, my parents were mentioning how their colleagues had a son who was a majored in weather sciences, uh, and then he started a, a weather photography business. And I was like, okay, okay. And then a year ago, not, not a year ago, um, just recently, I was going through 500 pics, and I, I saw this guy. And I, was, I was incredibly impressed with his photos, honestly. And I, I saw that he had a weather business and I was like, holy crap. 
So I, I asked my mom, like, is this the guy that you were talking about? And she was like, yeah, it is. So he, I've gone through his blog posts and he just has some really interesting opinions about photography that I would love to hear on the show. Um, very, very interesting opinions about, about, um, social media in particular. Okay, cool. And another guy who I'm, I'm hoping that I pronounce his name correctly, uh, Rob Visser, who like anytime I see a shot of by him, I, I know it's by him because it's, it's, it's really good. <laughs> um, he is the tree king. And he's living proof that you don't need a good camera to take good photos because he has a, a D5100 and every right. single one of his shots, they're, they're, it's all trees and they're all just absolute phenomenal killer shots. And it's hard. It's hard to get killer shots of trees. It's not something that's easy. No, but, but it's fun, man. I love it. I just found his Instagram. It's really cool. <laughs> nice. Nice suggestion. Cool, man. Well, thanks so much, Ethan. Um, it's always fun uh, talking to people who are, haven't quite been doing it for a really long time just to get their viewpoints. And I appreciate you being vulnerable to kind of talk about your opinions and and put yourself out there that way. I super appreciate it, dude. Oh, no problem. I'm just hoping that I, I lived up to the, the company that you've had on this podcast. There's been some some of my personal heroes have definitely been on here. I'm just trying to, I hope I, I hope, I hope I reached that bar. Cool, man. Well, thanks again. I appreciate it. And uh, good luck with the rest of your school down in New Zealand, man. Oh, thank you. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks to Ethan for the fun conversation and for joining me on the show. It is always fun to talk to someone with different views. I'm always curious which episodes people enjoy or don't enjoy, so don't hesitate to contact me with your thoughts. I also love supporting our Patreon supporters, so if you support the show on Patreon, please don't hesitate to reach out with an idea or a way that I can help you out. That's what this is all about. I want to build upon an already great community of like-minded photographers to make the world, our world, a better place. Well, here's what's coming up on the show. Next up on the podcast is one of the most well-established names in landscape photography here in Colorado, Todd Cottle. Todd has a reputation for telling it like it is, and sometimes that gets him into some hot water. We take the time to talk about how his passion for Colorado and photography drive him and how some of his online comments are all about that passion. I also recorded with Manuel Palacios, a photographer from upstate New York. He has a wonderful vision and his obsession with the Adirondacks shines through in his awesome photography. He's also a scientist by training and so we talk a lot about how that background in science informs his art and vice versa. I also recently recorded with Margaret Suraya. Suraya, my apologies. She's a photographer living in the Highlands of Scotland. We had a wonderful discussion about mindfulness, slowing down, and her philosophical approaches to our craft. I also recently recorded with Joseph Roybel, a photographer from Denver, Colorado, 
and he does a lot of work with brands, so it was great getting his perspective on the business side of photography and what fueled his growth as an artist. Tomorrow, I will record with Felix Inden. He's a fam fabulous photographer from Germany and someone who I might describe as a mover and shaker in the industry. I'll also be recording with Elizabeth Brentano, who has done some amazing work in Africa showcasing the wildlife there. And thanks to my friend Michael Rung for helping set that one up. I'm also really pumped to record soon with the legend William Neal, which should be an absolute blast. Uh, we'll be talking a lot about his new book. And I also have a few other podcasts scheduled, including one with Bree Stockwell, David Brookover, Vicki McLeod, and many more. All right, well, that's all for now. Thanks for stopping in, collaborating with us, and listening. We'll see you next week. And if you made it this far, shoot me a DM on Instagram and let's chat. Talk to you later.